grandparents. Grandparents are a special gift. When God designed the family, when God gave us grandparents, most of us could probably say that's one of the greatest gifts that's ever been given to me. And I understand in an audience this size, not everyone could say that. And, you know, the beauty of the church is that we become family. And so even if we haven't had the grandparents in a physical sense that maybe we would have longed to have, and is it wonderful to know that we have a church family around us and we can have those adoptive grandparents that, that can fill in and they can fill that, that vacant role in our life in such a wonderful way. And so as we think about your grandparents, I'm talking to you about your Nana, your Grandmama, your Millie, your Troy Boy, your Papa, your Gigi, your Mama, your Oho, uh, Mimi, Papa Jay, Nana, Pop, Grandmom, Grandpop, Bum, Graham, Mom, Dad, Jack, Nanette, Grandmama, Grana, Granddaddy, and Day, or Da. All right, these are some things that they love to do with you, grandchildren. The list is long. We're not going to be able to include everything by any means. What I did find out in these surveys is that grandparents write more than grandchildren. I did find that out. I worked hours trying to organize this list, reading through wonderful readings, enjoyed every minute of it, but you write a whole lot more than your grandchildren do. This is what they like to do with you. Number one, just whatever you want to do, they like doing it with you. They love to teach you to cook and to bake. They like to take your picture, ride you on a ride mower, let you play with a neighbor's dog, watch you ride your battery car. They love being surrounded by all your grandchildren during worship service. So they like to hear you read. They like to talk to you. They like to hear what's going on in your life. They love to play indoor hide and seek when there's lots of screaming. Griff said that one. You can imagine that one, can't you? You like to see them uh, participate in pew packers with Phil. Uh, you like for them to help you in the garden. I just wonder if the grandkids like that as much. I, I had a lot of experience in that, and that was not one of my favorite memories. Um, one of the ones that I was real thankful was still around. I didn't know this one was still around, but uh, they like to play one, two, three, red light with you. I used to love that when I was a kid, and I never see anybody play that anymore. Uh, I ask them in the surveys, when are you ready for a break? Once you spend some time with the grandchildren, when are you ready for a break? And uh, there are a lot of answers. Some were like after a long weekend. Uh, when they're ready for a nap, I'm ready for a nap. Uh, whenever the old body tells me, uh, a couple of days I'm ready for a break, but only for a short break because I get withdrawals after a little while. And, and another grandmother said, when my eyes start to close while I'm in a setting position, it's time for a break. And another, I think as a grandfather said, when the sound level gets too loud, I'm ready for a break. Others range from after five to ten minutes I'm ready for a break to others saying after a couple of weeks and a few saying I've never been ready for a break. The funniest thing that your grandchildren have done, and, and they were great, and some of them were lengthy. I'll give you a few of the shorter ones and one or two of the longer ones. Uh, loved it when they played in mud puddles and they were covered from mud to the head, uh, to the sole of their feet. I loved it when they innocently speak the truth. Uh, I loved it when my three-year-old called to her mother, Mommy, 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 and the mother explained, just call me mother once. Soon after that, the, the child cried out, Mommy wants, Mommy wants, Mommy wants. I like it whenever uh, that my granddaughter talks like an Englishman. Uh, I like the delight on her face the first time she found out that granddaddy's recliner would spin in circles. I like it when they learn new words as they're learning to talk. Uh, another grandmother explained it in this way. She said, 
Someone broke into our daughter's van and tried to rip the DVD player out of it. They also got into our son-in-law's truck. And our grandson, who was six at the time, said, we've been robbed. They explained, no, we have not been robbed. We were vandalized. This six-year-old is processing this, and when the police arrived, he takes charge. He walks up and he says, we have been vandalized and truck-delized. The best humor has to come from the mouths of babes. Absolutely. You know, when we look in Psalm, the 92nd chapter, we see a beautiful passage that if I remember right, a year ago on Grandparents' Day, we looked at this passage. And I would like for us not so much to develop this passage tonight. Tonight, what I want to do is for I want us to develop what the grandparents have said that ties right into Scripture. But as, as kind of a leaping point, I want to remind all of us, and especially us younger ones, I want to remind us of how beautiful God's plan is, where we live in a society that is the strongest survive, and we tend to believe in our human nature, which is completely wrong. But we believe in our human nature that the ones who are the greatest contributors are the ones who have the most physical ability to produce in our world. And that simply is not true. But that's why in our world we tend to treat children and the aged as second-class citizens. But the beauty is in the church, that will never be the case. Because in the church, we have readings like this in Psalm 92, where he says, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord, that's the church in the New Testament. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. And when we see in our Christian homes, when we see the blessing that grandparents are in many ways, but especially the wisdom, the compassion, and the love that they bring to almost every setting, we realize that they do bring a freshness. They're able to help us think about things in a way that will bring the most production and the most life, the best long term. And in that sense, I hope that all grandparents, I hope all of us, grandchildren, everybody, but especially tonight as we think about grandparents, I hope grandparents can say in verse 15 that we all can declare that the Lord is upright. In other words, our life, we're not in conflict with God. We believe He's upright. We believe that that He is the God uh, that, that is worthy of our life and our service, and so we are living an upright life toward Him. And then when... When he's able to say, he's my rock, and there's no unrighteousness in him. What a beautiful, beautiful thought to be able to declare grandparents to their grandchildren, not only in word, but in life and in deed, to be able to say to their grandchildren, God is my rock. Granddaddy, how did you get through that tough time? God brought me through it. Grandmother, how did you deal with that loss? God brought me through it. How did you make decisions when you were my age? I've learned that God is the one who is always right. 
being able in our words and our actions to convey that to a generation. And I want to remind our young people and our, our grandchildren, I want to remind you of the fact that your grandparents have been the age you are. And believe it or not, they've been through almost exact situations that you've been through. Maybe the details are not the same, but the principles are exactly the same. And how wise we are when we say, you know what, I need to tap into that wisdom. I need to draw from that resource. And so when we think about grandparents, I'd like to take your minds to what grandparents in this congregation have said when we ask the question, what life lessons are you teaching your grandchildren? Now keep in mind, we couldn't incorporate all, every one of them that, that contributed, all gave powerful advice that could be used in a setting like this, without exception, every one of them. But I, I tried to pull from a list to make the list the most well-rounded for tonight's uh, lesson. And so here are what various ones have said. First, as we break this list down, let's think about those that pertain to the grandchildren and their relationship with God. Troy Feltner said, and, and each of these said more than this, but this I'm just pulling out certain things to, to organize this. Troy Feltner said that he, his life lesson that he's trying to teach his grandchildren is that God is the centerpiece of their life. Sue Griffin said to love God and obey Him. You know, when we think about a centerpiece in life, for example, if you walked in this room tonight and there literally was somebody standing right in the center of this room and they were standing right here, odds are you wouldn't be in this room long without noticing them. But there also is probably the truth that in this room tonight, there were people sitting at each corner in the back and most of you have not even noticed them. Where's God in your life? Everybody's in this room, but not everybody's in the center of this room. Now that's fine. But when we take that to application, and you have a grandfather saying to the grandchildren, I want you to put God not just in your life. I want you to put God in the center of your life. In other words, he can't go unnoticed. Every time you think, every time you speak, every time you make a decision... You know the presence of God. Others that know you cannot miss the fact that you live for God because He's in the center of your life. We're talking about putting God in our life, and it's real important, and then building everything else around God. Where we make a mistake is when we try to make our life up and then figure out how to fit God into each piece of it. That's wrong, it's backwards, and it'll never work that way. God comes first. He's the centerpiece. And then we build everything around God. We're going to read a passage that's no surprise to you, but how could we not read this passage when we think about the two things that have been said about loving God and Him being the centerpiece of our life? Look at Matthew, the 22nd chapter, and in verse 36. Remember the teacher, the, the lawyer came and asked Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said... And 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He says, this is the first and great commandment. Now, we see there the idea that love for God has to be the centerpiece of our life. It comes first in every aspect of our life, of our heart, our soul, our mind. Luke would add to this our strength, talking about our physical life. God has to come first. But then... We have a problem here in America of misdefining love. We don't have time to heavily develop that, but we'll just say this. What is the definition of love? It's agape here. How would God help us to understand love? And we read in John 14 and 15, 
I'm not suggesting to you this is everything about the love of agape, but this is one aspect of it that applies in all situations. In John 14 and 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so if God is the centerpiece in our life, we're having our thoughts, we're having our deepest desires, our heart, we're having our very spiritual existence, our soul, we're having our strength. Everything is built around God and we understand I'm going to obey God. Whatever God asks or requires of me, I want to serve God. We had another uh, set of grandparents, Bill and Judy Prince, as we think now about grandchildren and the relationship with the church. And they said that one of the things that they want to teach, a life lesson that they want to teach their grandchildren, is to love God and His church. You know, in Colossians, the first chapter in verse 18, we are reminded what the church is. In Colossians 1 and 18, he's talking about Jesus when he says, and he is the head of the body, the church. So Christ is the head of the body. Well, what is Christ's body? The church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. We need to make sure that we realize that the way we understand, love, participate, and speak about the church is most likely the way, at least in the first part of our grandchildren's lives, that they will either love, participate, or understand the church. We need to help our young people. We need to help our grandchildren love God's design of the church. The church universal is the body of Christ. You know, we live in uh, a society today that speaks a whole lot religiously about, I want to be spiritual, but do not give me organized religion. Now, if you remember about 20, 25 years ago, a very similar thing was said, but it was said like this, give me Christ, but don't give me the church. Now, our grandchildren in 10 or 15 years, they will hear the religious society say the same thing and they'll choose different words. But it always comes down to this. There's a lot of people that like to claim they have a relationship with God, but they don't have time or sacrifice to be a part of His family. Don't ask me to come and worship Him. Don't ask me to serve with His family. Don't ask me to make sacrifices to be a part of that family. Just give me Christ. Don't want anything to do with the church. We need to make sure that, that we're teaching our grandchildren love the church. Now, let's come at this from just another angle, and, and then we move right on. And that other angle is, who is the church? We know that the church is the body of Christ, but, but what makes up the church? The church, of course, is not brick and mortar. The church, that's our brothers and sisters. Now, I've never seen a brother or sister in Christ that was perfect. Never. Every brother and sister in Christ I've ever met is imperfect. You know, by our human nature, it's easy for us to be impatient with people when we see their mistakes. Grandparents can go a long way to helping their grandchildren learn to love imperfect people. I want to challenge us parents and I want to challenge you grandparents. Let's, never, let's make sure that we never speak about people in the church in such a way that would cause our children or grandchildren to have negative thoughts about the church. Children can't understand the difference in an individual and the church. But they do know this. When you're talking negative about the people that are here, 
they understand you're talking negative about the church. And so it's real easy for them to formulate in their mind this perception. In my family, we don't really like the church. We just go there. And let's make sure that that's not the case. And let's make sure that that would never be the perception. I, I would hope that all of us would, would literally have a, a very firm conviction in our mind that would be our children will never hear us say anything negative about the Lord's body. Even though individually we are imperfect people. Another grandparent, as, as we think about grandchildren's growth and development, grandchildren's growth and development, here are, are some things that uh, three or four have said as, as we think about grandchildren growing up. This is life lessons that they want to teach. Number one, do your best in whatever you do, from Sandra Whittle. Uh, Elaine Feltner and Mark Rinks both talked about they want their grandchildren to have a good work ethic. Carolyn Eek said to have integrity and be responsible. You know, as we think about this idea of work ethic, of integrity, about setting your hand uh, to do something and doing the very best you can do, of course, there are a lot of passages in the Bible. One that came to my mind because I heard it so much growing up was Proverbs, the sixth chapter. And in verse six, you remember, this is the passage about the ant. Let's go. And, And he says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain or overseer or ruler provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O slugger? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. There he equates the idea of laziness. If, if we're lazy... We haven't learned a valuable lesson that we can learn from a creature as simple as an ant. How does the ant have food to eat all winter long? Because the ant doesn't take naps all the time. The ant doesn't sleep till 10 o'clock in the morning. I've heard this speech a lot. The ant gets up and in the summertime, they work hard. And in the harvest time, they spend their time harvesting. And then when the cold weather comes, because they were diligent, because they worked, because they planned, Now they're able to go through the winter. I usually heard that when the chainsaw was running as we were cutting wood. I heard that as we were killing hogs. I heard that over all the things we did to get ready for the winter. Now, when we think about another aspect of the very same thing, look with me, if you will, to Colossians, the third chapter. He says a very powerful teaching Paul does here. Here he's talking about bond servants. A bond servant was one that was working off a debt for someone else. And as, as he's working off that debt for someone else, he reminds the bond servant that the reality is you're not just working for a master on earth. Even though if you're just going by, by your eyesight, that's what it seems that you're doing, but your faith requires you to do something else. Because remember, we don't live by sight, we live by faith. And so our faith causes us to look at opportunities to work in an entirely different way. And in Colossians 3 and 22, he says, bond servants, obey in all things your master according to the flesh. So your master according to the flesh, obey them in, in all things. And then he says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And and we've all seen individuals that they work hard and they do their responsibility and they look like they're people of integrity as long as the boss is looking. When their supervisor's not around or when they think they're not being evaluated, they don't work with sincerity. And the word sincerity means singleness. 
They don't work with a singleness. In other words, they're hypocrites. I work this way when the boss is looking, and I work this way when the boss isn't working. And he says, don't be hypocrites. Be sincere about your work. And here's why. Look in 23. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. He literally says this. When you go into work, you're not really working for people. You're working for God. So you might want to do it heartily. Do it with your heart. Do it with all of your strength. Why? Because there's coming a day. He's talking about the day of judgment. Well, you will answer to God for how you worked for your supervisors on earth. Our grandchildren need to know that. And grandparents can have a very powerful and effective way of driving that point home in their lives. And that's why we have grandparents making such statements as we've just read. Grandchildren's growth and development can also be looked at. And I think about these grandmothers that said these things that would pertain some especially to the granddaughters and some to all. But let's look at Nanette Cronk said modesty. She teaches her granddaughter modesty and how to keep the kitchen. Mayola England says you control your attitude and your happiness. In other words, you don't blame other people for those things. You're responsible for that. Carolyn Eek says the value of right choices. You know, as I thought about the grandmother saying these things, and of course not all these pertain to just granddaughters, but as I think about the grandmother saying those, I couldn't help but be reminded of Titus the second chapter. Hopefully all of us know what Titus the second chapter says. If our grandmothers have forgotten this, I hope that tonight this will be the passage that you take with you and say, you know what? I have a heavy responsibility to my granddaughters. Here he speaks to the older women about what their lives are to be in Titus 2 and 3. He says, older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. But now notice what he requires the, the older women to teach the younger. And by application tonight, it'd be the grandparents teaching the granddaughters, the grandmothers, the granddaughters. Look at verse 4, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands. Now notice, the word love here is is agape. It's not eros, that romantic love. You probably don't have to teach them as much about the romantic love, but what is a hard lesson to learn is how to truly agape. That's unselfish, unconditional, sacrificial love, and it doesn't come by nature. Let that sink in. It doesn't come by nature. That love has to be learned. Well, who's going to teach our granddaughters? to truly know how to love their husband because it's not going to be learned. You don't walk down an aisle and say, I do, and you walk out and you know how to practice it. Now, as we go over this list of things that older women are teaching younger women, as we go through this, I want to ask you older uh, ladies, and and this may not be true of all of you, but I wonder how many of you have said, as you've watched a young bride or you've watched a, a granddaughter, maybe with her children, and I wonder how many of you said, boy, they, they just really are not the wife that they ought to be. They really aren't the mother that they ought to be. They really are not the woman that they ought to be. Now keep in mind, when that takes place in the church family, if that is the rule of thumb in a church family, then what we have to say in a church family is our older women aren't doing their job. Because these things aren't learned naturally. And God just as, as sure as the command is we need to be baptized for the remission of sin, is also just as sure the command that says older women are to teach the younger women this. 
And so if our younger women don't know it, it's the fault of our older women. And, and so look at, look at this list. Older women are to teach the younger to love their husbands. That's the agape. To love their children. Keep in mind, Hebrews 12 tells us what true love does. True love punishes. How many times have, have older women said, these younger mothers just don't know how to discipline their child? Well, of course they don't if you haven't taught them. When, when's the last time you've pulled one aside and said, can we get together and study the scriptures for a few weeks? Can, can I talk to you about some things that will make your life so much better and it'll make the life of your child so much better? I think I can teach you some things that you don't know that it'd be amazing. Because any of us that are older and have raised children, at least to some degree, we know that it's a lot more joy and peace to have children that are disciplined than children that aren't disciplined. But younger mothers don't know that if nobody's taught them that. Another part of this list is to be discreet, to be chaste, to be homemakers, to be good, to be obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So it's wonderful to see a list like that and think that by God's design in the church, young women are always going to know those things because the older women are going to make sure that they give that gift of instruction to the girls. Also, we see, as we think about the relationship with others, and, and picking up the pace a little bit here, Ronald and Ann Robinson wanted to teach their grandchildren no bullying. Dodd Hudson said to treat others the way that you would want to be treated. Sandra Humphrey said to treat others with kindness. Aaron Jones says to teach them to say, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, and and please, and thank you. And when we think about these things, really what is being described there is Matthew, the seventh chapter and verse 12. We usually refer to this as the golden rule. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And then uh, finally, uh, before we move to the close of this lesson, look at the fifth one, and that is grandchildren and their possessions. You know, there are probably a lot of us in this room that while we were growing up, we didn't have a lot of possessions. You look at the marketing today, and we have figured out in the retail industry today that the youth of America spend a lot of money, or either parents or grandparents spend a lot of money on their children. Children today probably give away in yard sales and goodwill more than kids 30 or 40 years ago probably had in most of the years that they were growing up. Now, the reason I bring that out is not to say that makes them bad. I'm thankful that, that, that there's more prosperity than, than what it was. I'm not saying that that's negative at all, but here's the responsibility that parents and grandparents have. We used to not have to drill in nearly as many kids' minds about how to handle possessions because they didn't have a lot of possessions. Now kids do. They have a lot of possessions. So now are we training them on how they ought to view their possessions. For example, uh, Carol, Carol Keff, one of the life lessons that she is trying to teach her grandchildren is that money or things won't buy true happiness. Let's scan some verses here out of 1 Timothy 6. We literally could study the whole chapter, but, but think about these beginning at verse 6. 
Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain is a financial term. It's profit. What's real profit? Grandparents teaching grandchildren that real profit in life is being godly and being content with what you have. Verse 9, to realize that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Why? Because in verse 10, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some having strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So the last two verses really get to the heart that if our drive and ambition in life is just to be rich so that we can be rich, we literally are, are putting holes through our heart to say, I'm hurting because you can't have contentment if your desire is more, more, and more. And so we drop down later in this chapter and we see in verse 17 how he says, let's shift that trust. Let's teach our grandchildren. You don't put your trust in possessions. Instead, notice verse 16, command those who are rich in the present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches. What's the answer? You trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy, teaching our grandchildren that these are possessions to thank God for. They're possessions to enjoy, but they're also possessions to do this, to let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation of the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. Grandparents have given awesome instruction to grandchildren. We'll extend the invitation by using Dave Stanfield's line where one of the things that he wanted to teach his grandchildren was simply be a Christian. I don't know if you could say it better in only three words. What should every grandparent want for their grandchild? Be a Christian. Tonight, That would be the desire for all of us. It's the Lord's invitation. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. God gives us a lot of blessings in the family, the blessing to influence others. And I want to encourage our youth to think about the fact that your grandparents have lived a lot more years than what you've lived. They've gained a lot of wisdom. And when they tell you these things, it's people that love you probably as much as not more than anybody else on this earth. They're telling you these things because they love you, because they've lived a while, and because they love God. Let's take this message that our grandparents at Mount Juliet have taught us from God's Word. And let's strive to leave here, be a little bit closer to God this evening. Be a Christian. If you've never been baptized into Christ, why not become a Christian tonight? If you've been a Christian and yet you've stopped walking the way of a Christian, why not come back to Him and confess sins and pray forgiveness? If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.